Well, I am uh, going to invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and take your seats. And we'll continue with our time together this morning. Uh, so my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And as anticipated, it's just as hard to do this while you guys are in the room as when you're out of the room. So, <laughs> so come on back in and grab your uh, seats. And we're going to look into our teaching time uh, together. So how many people know what Sunday it is today? You get a hint on the screen up behind you. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I know, says Diane. It's Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> you are correct. It's Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost Sunday is the day in the church calendar uh, when we celebrate uh, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. And the church calendar, if you follow the church calendar, is organized into seasons of anticipation and then seasons of celebration. And so uh, leading up to a season of celebration, like for example, Easter, we have a season of anticipation, the season of Lent, 40 days of preparing our hearts to celebrate Easter. Or uh, leading up to Christmas, we have the season in the church calendar of Advent, preparing our hearts, making room in our lives to receive uh, the gift that Christ gives to us. But then usually coming out of those holidays or those celebrations, we have other elements of the church calendar. And the story that God is telling is not over with Easter. And so we go into a period after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus where Jesus spends time with his disciples, teaching them, instructing them, uh, nurturing their faith, demonstrating the validity of his resurrection. And uh, in this season, it's called Eastertide. And it's 40 days after Easter. And then uh, Jesus makes a wonderful promise to his disciples in John chapter 14. And he's readying them, he's preparing them for his departure, which we celebrate on Ascension, which was last Wednesday. And Jesus says this in John 14, wonderful Trinitarian language. I will ask the Father, and God will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you, you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you or will live in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you, Jesus says. Wonderful language of, of hope. And I have a faint memory uh, from when I was young, was quite young, uh, maybe preschool age or so, and we went to the mall in Dawson Creek in northern BC where we were living at the time. And by mall, just to be 100% clear, what I mean by the mall in Dawson Creek is a Safeway at one end, Mr. Mike's at the other end, and maybe 12 stores in between them. So, you know, it's not Metro Town by any stretch of your imagination. So we went to the mall, and um, in my memory on this particular visit to the mall, I was left alone at the mall. And I can remember having a confusing set of thoughts bubbling up into my young mind, like, well, that's it. We had a good run. They've left me now. <laughs> I, I don't remember what it was that I did that caused them to leave me here, but I'll have to make my own way in the world now. They're never coming back for me. 
And so I began to think about what could I still remember how to do? I'm like, well, I could get to school. I remember where that is from here. And there's food in the fridge. I'll be okay for a little bit. And I could probably get home from the mall. It was maybe 10 blocks. And so I began plotting my 10-block walk from the mall back to my house. And in my mind, this time felt like an absolute eternity. It turns out that it was probably less than two minutes. And my parents were in the store immediately in front of me. And the, the store had floor-to-ceiling glass windows. So I was never actually out of their sight at any time in that 120 seconds. I was indeed not left alone to fend for myself. It just felt that way to me. And that's what in John 14, Jesus is saying to those who follow him. He's saying, you won't be able to see me physically in the same way that you have for those first century disciples. But as a follower of Jesus, you are never alone. God is always with you. And so this brings up the question of, well, how is God with us today? How is Jesus with us when he makes this promise to us right here, right now? I mean, we can't physically see God. If you keep reading in your Bibles beyond the Gospels, you come to the book of Acts. And God fulfills his promise to God's people in uh, the day of Pentecost, which is what we're celebrating today in the church calendar. And it's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. And in that encounter, uh, the early disciples are gathered and they're fearful because they think that Jesus has left them. They think they're on their own. They think they have to go into this very difficult and challenging world abandoned as orphans. But yet, the promised Holy Spirit comes and rests on them with power in a dynamic moment and they begin to speak in languages uh, that they bear witness to Uh, of people around them. And they perform miraculous acts uh, of God's power and bring physical healing to those around them. And the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit is poured out not just to those who assembled there, but to every believer. Just as was prophetically foretold in the Old Testament, if you look in the books of Joel or the book of Isaiah, they look ahead and they say, one day, One day, God, by his Holy Spirit, will be present everywhere, indwelling them, empowering them. So men and women, young and old, able-bodied, non-neurotypical, Jewish background Christians, Gentile Christians, all of them together are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the same thing continues to be true of all who are part of God's family today. All have been given, the scripture says, to drink of the same Holy Spirit who are part of God's family. But it helps us to pause and ask the question, on a day like Pentecost Sunday, so what? What does the Holy Spirit do then? If I have the Holy Spirit or have opportunity to have the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Well, we're, we're in a series right now called Serpents and Doves. And it's a phrase that Jesus used to talk about living with wisdom in the world. Be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as a dove. And the question we're wrestling with is, how do you know when you need which particular approach? And the answer to that is, well, you need 
a conversation with the Holy Spirit because it's not a formula to live with wisdom. It's a dynamic, moment by moment, day by day, situation by situation, conversation with the living God to pay attention to what God is doing and then respond accordingly. And so the only way that that's possible is by asking and pursuing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Here at Jericho, one of our core values that we list up here on our banners is transformational truth. And we use the symbol uh, that's often associated with the Holy Spirit, the dove. Because the Holy Spirit transforms us. And one of the things that we encourage uh, in the portion of transformational truth in our lives is regular intake and self-feeding in the scriptures outside of the context of our Sunday morning gatherings. And so as I was reading through this last week, uh, our Project 345 readings, uh, we were reading in 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a wonderful description of some of the things that uh, God the Holy Spirit does in our world and in our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, or uh, you can open the Jericho app, or go there on your devices, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the words will also come up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, and we'll read through to verse 16. Scripture says, but or for, it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For God's spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one knows a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. So when we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words that are given to us by the Holy Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths or spiritual things. But people who are not spiritual, sometimes they can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It just sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are indwelled by the Spirit or filled with the Spirit can understand what the Spirit is saying to them. Those that are spiritual can evaluate things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. What Paul's saying there is he was getting critiqued by a bunch of other people and leaders running around saying, oh, that Paul guy, who knows what he's talking about? I just got a special revelation from God's spirit, which Pastor Mike talked about two weeks ago. And so Paul says that's not the way of evaluating other people. Uh, if you're a spiritual person, you need to be subject to evaluation by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? And who knows enough to teach him? Verse 16, but we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ and that's a, a corporate we language there. Again, speaking of the community that God has given his spirit to. And so the driving passage, uh, the driving question rather that this passage of scripture helps us understand is what does the Holy Spirit do? Now the passage, to be clear, doesn't tell us everything that the Holy Spirit does. There's more than 50 examples in the New Testament of things that the Spirit does in our lives and in the world. But it does highlight for us four things, four roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives and in the world today to fulfill the promise that Jesus made that we're not alone and that he has sent 
his spirit, that God is with us, that God is in us, and that God is for us if you're a part of God's family. So let's look at the four things that we see in this text. So the first thing that we see is in verse 10, is that the Holy Spirit reveals God to us and to the world. One of the roles that the Spirit has is to point people or to draw people toward God. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, the role of the Spirit is to convict the world of sin and to reveal that the righteousness of God is available. And the reason that this text says that the Spirit can reveal God to the world is that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so just like Jesus was fully God and revealed to us what God looks like, how God thinks about things, what God's heart is for the world, so too the Holy Spirit in our world today is about the business of bringing people to a knowledge and understanding of God. And the image that's, that's used here of revelation is like an uncovering or an unveiling. God reveals these things by his spirit. In other places, uh, the language that's used of the Holy Spirit is the language of a guidepost or a, a, a one who is walking with us on a journey to help us find the right path for life. And this is one reason why so often, especially in the book of Acts, when it talks about the work of God in the world miraculously uh, bringing and unveiling things, it talks about signs and wonders. Because the image here is that the Holy Spirit is a guide, a sign or a signpost to guide us into all truth. And this is not to say that just because you stick your hand up and say, I'm a Christian, and you're walking down a particular path, that that particular path is blessed and sanctioned by the Holy Spirit. And we can learn a lot in this category from our own history as uh, Mennonite Brethren movement. So in, this is a quick history lesson for you. Uh, in, uh, we're part of a, a church family called the Mennonite Brethren. And the origins of the Mennonite Brethren denomination began about 150, 160 years ago uh, in the southern portion of Russia and in the Ukraine. And a group of families and individuals began meeting together in homes because they were increasingly troubled by what they perceived as dead and lifeless religion. What they encountered when they gathered with the community of faith was people just going through the motions of church attendance, participation, but no vitalized inner witness of a, of a personal relationship with God. And so they began to meet in homes and they began to pray and they began to ask God, God, would, would you pour out your spirit, revive us, revitalize us, give us a fresh experience and encounter, make us, in the language of the song that we sang, more aware of your spirit's presence. And they began to pray into this for a number of years. And then God, in God's grace, responded and poured out God's spirit on them. And they began to have encounters and manifestations of God's spirit that 
distinctly put them at odds with their surrounding neighbors and community. They began to have a a place in these home meetings that went from being a place of lifelessness to a place of passion, a place of passionate emotion. People began weeping under conviction of sin. People began um, giving prophetic utterances. People began uh, joyfully just shouting. People began dancing in worship, in song. Uh, People began to lay hands on each other and pray for the healing of the sick. And it became just a dynamic, physical, uh, joyful expression of a renewed discovery of the work of the Holy Spirit. A Lutheran magistrate who came to visit the Mennonite Brethren house churches reported that during worship services, people sing, jump, rejoice, dance, and hug everyone. They explained these joyous, outrageous outbursts as a joy experiencing the unction of the Holy Spirit, adding that they have been blessed. And in their document that in 1960, the Mennonite Brethren leaders wrote to describe what they felt was the core of their understanding of how to live together in community and understand God's work in the world, they noticed that they were seeking a genuine Living faith by the Spirit is their words. Now for some of you, this might come as news. Because I would not say that as a general rule, the Mennonite brethren in North America are known for being particularly charismatic. They tend to have a more staid or stasis kind of approach to life. Now, our global Mennonite Brethren family is well ahead of us and has never actually lost that vibrant sense of an exuberance expression of the Holy Spirit's work. But the original story, the origin story of the denominational family that we are a part of is a renewal movement, a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit that resulted in demonstrable evidences of their faith and their passion in that way. And so this week when someone asks you, so what did you actually talk about or learn at church this weekend? You can say, I learned that MBs are actually charismatics. (laughs) But the reason maybe that that isn't as true today is that quite quickly the story soured. Between 1860 and 1865, the movement spread and a charismatic expression of worship became the defining characteristic of Mennonite Brethren house church movements. Andrew Dick, who's a current professor at MB Seminary and a scholar on Christian historical spirituality, writes this. Sadly, these claims and practices concerning the Holy Spirit too often coalesced towards problematic instances. Some Mennonite brethren became arrogant towards other Mennonites. Shocking. (laughs) I have the Holy Spirit. Your church doesn't have the Holy Spirit. In some house churches, Mennonite brethren maintain conversion's joy artificially by requiring exuberance in worship. Leaders who interpreted the scriptures with extreme literalism burned the very books that helped spark the movement and then unilaterally excommunicated anyone who disagreed with them. 
within five years, the movement goes from a vibrant expression of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to infighting, divisiveness, and artificially needing to maintain emotion in worship in order to prove that you're filled with the Spirit. How quickly our spiritual parents lost their way. But it happens today too. Perhaps you've heard people say things like, well, the Spirit of God told me that, and then they go on to tell you something really weird, but they couch it in spiritual language, and you think, how am I supposed to challenge that? They said that the Spirit of God told them that. Or if people that have come to us in the past of Jericho and say, you know, the Holy Spirit is leading me to leave this church because you're not spiritual enough for me. Or the Spirit told me that, you know, you're wrong about this, that, and the other thing. And this is where we need to keep in mind the second aspect that we see of the work of the Spirit in our text in 1 Corinthians 2 today. And that is, there's a dynamic but complex reality that the Spirit of God has a role of revealing God's thoughts to us. That the Spirit of God leads and guides us into truth. But the pronoun is important there. Leads and guides us into God's truth. The Spirit searches out everything, 1 Corinthians 2.10, and shows us God's deep secrets. So here's the thing that Pastor Mike highlighted for us two weeks ago as we launched into this series. This sense of guidance that God gives to us is dynamic and real and powerful and is sometimes an individual sense of guidance that you feel that maybe God might want you to do something, but it is also something that God gives to us as a community. God has given us to each other to provide a sense of guidance and checks and balances, some communal wisdom and reference point so that we don't degenerate into individualism and run around excommunicating anyone who disagrees with us. Because back to the origin story, by 1865, things had gotten totally out of hand. There were instances of autocratic leadership and impropriety under the guise of now people were running around saying, the spirit told me that I'm to be in charge and you're to get out of here and go as a missionary to India. <laughs> and so things were out of hand and a group of Mennonite brethren leaders met in 1865 and published a document that became known as the June Reform. Andrew Dick notes that the June Reform document identified and curtailed some of these excesses that had been plaguing the Mennonite brethren. In addition to prescribing more communal and less individualistic ways of dealing with leadership, the document addressed worship practices with reference to the Holy Spirit. And this is funny to me. This is what they said. In their discerning community, they said, churches should curtail the use of tambourines and ceremonial dances using only music that is lively and inoffensive. <laughs> Yet, leaping for joy and shouting should still be permitted because spontaneous expressions of joy and sadness are appropriate when we feel that the Spirit of God is moving amongst us. I love it. Leaping and dancing, yes. Tambourines, definitely not. 
But what had occurred in this, in this movement, in this discussion, in their discernment together was perhaps typical of church history. There was a sense of a longing for more. There was a hunger for God, a desire for something, a deeper experience and expression of God's work in their lives in the world, a desire for the hunger of the, of the presence of God and God to work among them. And so they cried out for God and revelation in this. And yes, God responded. And then, after experiencing the emotions and the initial wave of this, they failed to fully integrate that into the rest of their theology of the body and their theology of the mind. And it kind of stayed just in that emotional realm of an experience of the spirit. And so in John 14, verse 16, when Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you, there is a cognitive learning dimension to that. When Jesus leaves his commission, he says, go, make disciples and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded them. And so one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit is that you take a posture of learning and a posture of humility. One of the roles of the Spirit is to illuminate and to guide us, to bring God's word to life in a vibrant and personal and dynamic way And as we pray and ask God for wisdom to face the day today. But there is also a communal element to that, which is why we have corporate teaching on Sunday mornings, and we have times in life groups to explore together the scripture and what God is doing and saying to us. It's why when we have people say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm sensing that God might have a direction for me in this area of your life. One of the first things we do is say, let's get a couple people around you to pray about that and maybe bear witness to that and affirm that or see what God is doing and then we can stand with you in that. And so this is also where we see the third aspect of the work of the Spirit in this text is that not only does God lead us by his Spirit uh, and reveal God's thoughts to us, not only does the Spirit of God reveal God to us, more of God's character, but also the Spirit of God reveals God's gifts to us. The witness of Scripture is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one that develops God's character and God's gifts to us, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, it says, we have received God's Spirit so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. In other words, God has given everyone in God's family a gift for service and for ministry, and for witness. And the way that we know what these gifts are is we say, Holy Spirit, what are the gifts that you have given to me? What are the gifts that you have given to us? And we allow God's Spirit to develop and cultivate and stir up those gifts in us. Paul talks about when uh, he says, you received a gift of the Spirit. When we laid hands on you, it became clearer and more evident that God had given you a deposit, a gift to use by your spirit. And so the spirit develops and trains and teaches us. And one of the things that I'm so incredibly grateful about is the gifts that God has given to us as a church family 
I'm gonna pick on a few people here, and this is certainly not an exclusive lift because we'd be here all day, but I wanna say I'm grateful and thankful for the gifts that God has given to people like Ron Zacharias, who's our moderator. And Ron leads our board with, with gifts of wisdom and gifts of faith. He leads worship with the musical gifts that God has given to him. I'm thankful for people like Lauren Epp, uh, who God has given gifts of eldership to and gifts of faith. And so when we're trying to discern what to do, Lauren will always, by the Spirit of God, speak words of faith into a meeting or into an, a me, an individual's life as God gives him by his Spirit the wisdom to do that. I'm grateful for Margaret for gifts of hospitality that God's given to her. She hosted our elders team for a wonderful retreat this weekend. And God's given Margaret uh, gifts running sound and technical gifts and also gifts of incredible spatial recognition. If you need a trailer packed, Margaret is your person. She'll get it sorted where things need to go. Um, God's given our team, I'm grateful for Pastor Wally and the gifts that God has given him of uh, care I'm grateful for Tammy and the gifts of administration that she brings in this season uh, in the life of the church. I'm grateful for Jenna and the gifts of leadership and vision that God's given to her as she provides leadership to our children's ministry. I'm grateful for people like uh, Peter as he leads our Jericho Faith Society team and oversees some of the building renovations that are complicated and God's given him communication skills, gifts in background in commercial real estate and in generosity. I'm grateful uh, for Sean Falks and his gift of being present yesterday morning when the fire alarm went off and the fire department showed up here because the construction team was uh, cutting through some concrete and a lot of dust was getting. And, and so Sean was here and was able to walk through that process with him. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the gifts that God has given us. And the one thing that I become increasingly convinced about more and more every single year here at Jericho Ridge and now as we go into year 14 and a half is God has given us every gift that we need to do the work that he's called us to do. We are not lacking anything that we need. God has poured out by his spirit an assignment for us and God has then given us everything and everyone that we need to accomplish that which God is inviting us to do in this season. And so where we feel tension around that, the question that we should be asking ourselves is what gifts might the Spirit be desiring to develop or bring to the forefront that maybe we don't even know about yet in this season? Maybe for you, you need the gift of flexibility because this is gonna be a seven-month renovation. And so it's gonna take some flexibility for us as we go into that. Maybe it's a gift of evangelism a gift of bold witness that God wants to give you to help somebody in your community come to know Christ personally. I mean, the gifts that the Spirit gives are just so incredibly appropriate and timely for the things that he's invited us to do. And so this is a season for us to lean in in fresh ways and discover new gifts that God is giving to us. I was speaking with Lindsay this morning and she said, hey, the, our Syrian uh, friends, our Syrian family that we've been waiting for and expecting, they're gonna be here by July the 24th. And so God's gonna need to give us a whole new set of gifts to try and equip and resource that family as they start life in Canada together with us. 
And so we're gonna, we're gonna discover and deploy gifts and muscles that we don't even know that we have to help this community and people in our community flourish. And for you, maybe this conversation about gifts of the Spirit is new to you. And if that's the case, I want you to send me an email and we'll have a coffee and we'll talk a little bit more about it and help uh, delve into that a little bit more. I'd love to do that. That's one of my great joys in pastoral work is to help people come to a deeper sense of the gifts God's given them and flourish in that. So fourthly and finally, one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has is to empower for bold witness. In the book of Acts, one of the things that is remarkably consistent if you study every time that the Holy Spirit is poured out in presence and in power, it isn't always supernatural signs and wonders. It isn't always tambourines and leaping. One thing that is consistent every single time is boldness for witness. It's the boldness to live and to speak about what God is doing. The indwelling presence of God's spirit is what allows us to be wise as serpents and bold at sometimes and gentle as doves in other situations because like we said last week, the spirit is the one that gives us words to speak. Acts chapter one verse eight says, but you will receive power. This is Jesus' promise. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and what will you do when you receive that power? You will be my witnesses, Jericho, and you will tell people about me everywhere. Boldness for witness, an empowered filling for bold witness is one of the clear marks of the Spirit's work amongst us. One of my favorite books in recent years on the person and work of the Holy Spirit uh, is by pastor and author Francis Chan. And his book is titled, The Forgotten God. And in it, he talks about how we have a tendency in Western Christianity, modern Western Christianity, to minimize or even openly deny the person and work of the Spirit. But we do so at our own peril because when we ignore the gifts and the empowering of the spirit of God we have only one resource that's left to us and that's ourselves human power and ingenuity and this is what Paul is concerned about not bringing into the conversation in 1 Corinthians 2 let me go back and read the first five verses of the chapter Paul says when I first came to you brothers and sisters I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you about God's secret plan. I decided while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, trembling, but my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using, as other people were doing in that that time and in that world, clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Friends, if we rely on our own human ingenuity and strength, we do not have what it takes to make an impact in this community 
and in the world that God has invited us to do. We just can't do it. I mean, we have very smart people. We have a ton of incredibly gifted people. But without the spirit and work of God, we got nothing. (laughs) We will not be able to move forward. Francis Chan says, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and in our churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. And I don't know what you pray when you get up in the morning, but for me, I do not want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know, yeah, That Brad guy is not that smart. He could not be doing this on his own power and initiative. If everything we do as a church can be easily explained by human effort, we're doing the wrong things. I want to be part of a church community who look at it and say, I literally cannot explain what is going on except the Holy Spirit is present amongst them in power. I don't know how those people over there bought that building except it was a work of the Spirit of God. I don't know how those people survived that chaotic renovation except that God's Spirit brought unity to them. I don't know how when they pray for the sick that people are healed except that somehow the Holy Spirit is working to bring God glory. I don't know how to explain the impact they keep having in lives of people, whether it's Syrian refugee families or people in Tanzania or Guatemala or Malaysia or Papua New Guinea, except that somehow that group of people is bold to believe that they really can make a difference in the world by the power and indwelling presence of God's spirit. Pentecost Sunday is about that reminder. It's an opportunity for us to pause and reflect on the work of the Spirit in our lives individually and corporately. And the team's going to lead us in worship and two songs of response. And as they do, I want you to ask these questions. The first question is just a simple one. Am I open to the work of the Spirit? Maybe for you today, you say, you know what, this is all new to me, Brad. Uh, This sense of of the Holy Spirit's work and movement and being part of God's family, all of that language is, is confusing to me. It's puzzling. But somehow, when I'm here with this group of people, I feel a stirring in my soul. And I have no language to explain it. I do not understand it. But something is going on inside of me. Friend, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you, pointing you to God, saying to you, opening the invitation, come and be a part of my family. I want to be in a dynamic and personal relationship with you. And if that's you, friend, here today, the way that you open that door is simply saying yes in prayer, saying, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I receive you. I want you to be in my life, not just as a peripheral part, but at the very center of my life, guiding, directing, forgive me for my sins, bring clear cleansing power into my life. I don't want to live with guilt and shame. I want to be open to you, Holy Spirit. Don't leave here today without taking that step. The second question that I would ask is a question of humility. Are you humbly submitted to others? The scripture says God 
opposes the proud, meaning that the Holy Spirit has a very difficult time living in your life if pride, particularly spiritual pride, is resident there. And so is there a spirit of humility and submission that you have to others? Or do you walk around saying, God told me this, God told me that, and don't tell me otherwise? The third question, am I developing? Are you developing and using the gifts that God has given to you by your spirit? Maybe for you, this is a season where you need to step into that in a deeper way. And you're sensing God's invitation to say, you know what? God has given me things that that I haven't held on offer to the community. I want to do that. I want to lean in in this season. Let's have a conversation about what that looks like. And then lastly, the question of bold witness. Maybe for you, God's bringing to mind an area or a person that you want to have a conversation with about what God is doing in your life and tell them your story of God's faithfulness. Maybe for you, you're, you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I need uh, support in my bold witness to others. And this is one of the reasons why we have our prayer response team every Sunday, because we want to stand with you. We want to assist you in this journey. And so our prayer response team is available at the back. Ali's there. Sylvia's there. Curtis is there. Pastor Wally's there. And if you, at any moment during these worship songs, just sense, you know what? I want somebody to pray with me. It can be about a little thing. It can be about a big thing in your life. Be responsive to that prompt and nudge of the Holy Spirit. Because we're not alone in this. We're a community that helps each other figure things out together. We are recipients together of God's gracious gift and promise. And so I'd invite you, uh, if you're able, to stand with me at this time. And we'll move into responding together in song. Because God has given us one of the greatest gifts of all. The promise of Jesus is that God has given us God's self. And as Mennonite brethren, we affirm and declare that the Holy Spirit is the counselor, the creative power, presence, and wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit can fix the world of sin. The Holy Spirit gives people new life. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And the indwelling Spirit testifies that we are God's children. The indwelling Spirit distributes gifts for ministry, empowers for witness, and produces a fruit of righteousness in our lives. As a comforter, the Holy Spirit helps us as God's children in our places of weakness and intercedes before the Father according to to God's will and assures us of eternal life. And so, Spirit of God, we say now, we welcome you. I welcome you, Spirit of God, in my life, in this church, in this room right now. You are welcome here. Speak to us, we ask.